Welcome back to the Snow Farms podcast, episode number three. I'm your host. <laughs> you, don't, you don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> I'm your host, Andrea, and my handsome husband, Russ, who is by my side unless he's working. <laughs> it's true. I'm like a bad penny. She can't get rid of me. <laughs> Today is Friday, September 9th. 2022 today we are going to be talking to you about getting out of debt so and this show is going to be about our experience where we came from how, what we did and basically uh we'll, we'll talk about dave ramsey's method first and mr ramsey has built a huge empire and good on him and he's helped he helped us he's helped tons of folks but instead of buying all this stuff let me tell you right now you know, he's, he has seven steps. For us, we're going to talk about the first three. The first thing is saving that first thousand dollars, having that in cash, an emergency fund, uh, or in a savings account or checking account. However, you feel more, most comfortable doing that. The second is his debt snowball, and all that is is taking your smallest debt, paying whatever extra money you have off towards that. When that's paid off, going to your next smallest debt, paying that off, and moving up until you get and paying the minimums on everything else and then paying off everything. So that's all your consumer debt. So that's credit cards, um, your Kohl's card, things of that nature. And he also includes cars in that as well. Uh, we haven't had a car note quite a long time. Um, so what's it been? Probably four or five years. Cause we had a short note on the Prius. It's a 2008 Prius. Car is a in engineering marvel. Um, it has horrific paint. It looks like it was attacked by uh, an acid monster. Paint's all peeling off. Thankfully, it's silver on aluminum or whatever it is. But uh, the only thing that car really cost me was my dignity because the amount of grief I get, especially working in Texas, where everyone's got either a everyone has a full size truck. And it's just whether it's a half ton, a three quarter ton, or a one ton, no end of grief. But all those truck beds are just virgin material. Never had anything thrown in. They're all just beautiful. Uh, we have a one ton dually. It's a 1999 Dodge Cummins diesel flatbed. I mean, it's super, super macho. I love that truck. It is amazing. Uh, it's helped on the farm just so very, very much. We got a screaming deal on that. But we paid cash for that, sold a, a, our old three-quarter ton Chevy that we had. But we – did you have a note on the Mazda? No, we paid for it in cash. To a gypsy. But that's a story for another episode where we'll be talking about don't don't buy cars off the internet from gypsies. <laughs> Lessons were learned. Lessons were learned. Um, so the debt snowball, it, it's really simple. That's it. And then the next thing is putting aside – three to six months of your expenses. So that's mortgage, um, all your bills, bills. I'm, I'm thinking your water bill, your, your power, your utilities. There was a word I was looking for cell phone bill, internet, all those things. Um, and then at that point, once you get past that, the world is your oyster because now you are richer than, probably 85, 90% of other Americans. That was the thing when I was coaching. I knew uh, not a ton of NBA guys, but I knew several NBA guys. 
and I've known some NFL guys, it always blows my mind how cash-strapped those guys are. If they have $25,000, $30,000 a month in income from their game checks, $100,000, $200,000 a month, they have all of it but a few hundred bucks accounted for. It is That always just blew my mind going out with them. Um, so we'll start with where, when we got married, Andrea had a little over $45,000 in student loan debt. And me having been a, uh, I don't, you can't say gigolo in a family show, but uh, I had, I had been a very, very. Um, it, you really liked tennis shoes. I had a shoe collection in, uh, and I, I, I look back at that guy. I don't even know who that person was anymore, but I did have a, a large shoe collection. I was kind of a close horse coaching uh, that image. And I always think about this now of buying things to impress people you don't like. And it's just the dumbest thing ever. But I, I was definitely caught up in that. So I had about $60,000 in consumer debt when Andrew and I got married. And that was after. I'd already sold the Jeep. I had a Jeep Wrangler and I'd sold the Porsche. Um, so Yes, folks. He said Porsche. <laughs> it was a 1978, yeah, 1978 Whaletail. It was a beautiful, beautiful machine on, on the engineering side. But the thing about having a Porsche, especially an old Porsche, every single thing in the car costs $1,500. It doesn't matter what it is. It's $1,500 wiring harness, $1,500, a, the roller for the window, $1,500 seat cushions. It, it doesn't matter everything in that car. And, uh, I still remember the first time I went to get the oil changed in that thing. Now in my defense, I paid $3,500 for the Porsche. It was sitting in a farmer's field for years. I saw it after going to drill one weekend and, uh, they, it, it ran. I drove it home that day, but they'd push it up, put a for sale sign on it. I didn't even dicker, just bought it, put tires on it, drove it around, made a little money on it at the end. But uh, the first oil change, because they didn't understand that it was oil cooled. And there was one German mechanic, like he worked on German cars. He's a very American gentleman, but uh, he did Mercedes, BMWs and Porsche, Audi. So I take it to him to get the oil changed. And this is back in the early 2000s. It was 2005 when I bought the car. And uh, going to Jiffy Lube at that time, it was 1999 forever to get your oil changed. So I'm expecting, well, maybe 40 bucks, maybe 50. It was $150. And I put that car up on Craigslist that night. Um, so anyways, I had all this consumer debt and... I'd had a really fun childhood that I extended like so many folks do today into my early thirties. But <clears throat> I'd gotten serious. I knew I wanted to get married and I knew that these things weren't what a woman was looking for to start a family. So when Andrew and I met, we were, we were both very honest with each other about the things we were bringing in from past relationships. And uh, I get, went to the free clinic Everything came back clean, so it was fine. Oh, <laughs> My wife is just the sweetest, sweetest lady. So anyways, that's a joke. But uh, we sat down, we talked, 
And I was listening to a lot of Dave Ramsey at that time. He was big on the radio and I'd bought one of his books. I still have it here, Financial Peace University or some such. And we did that. So I was, the job I had was going away with the state of Oregon. I was the uh, director for the county for the Oregon Department of Veterans Affairs, the service, the, the veteran service officer. It's a great job. I loved it. Had that job not gone away, I probably would have stayed there forever. It was super rewarding. I, I really enjoyed serving the veterans that came in. Um, I got to know everybody in the community. It was it was a lovely, lovely job. But uh, we needed money. And Andrea was, she... A public school teacher. Yes. With, in a small, small town. Small town with two... The Reds were how old then? Four? Four six. six when we got married. So she couldn't just leave and go find a, a high paying job. So I think as soon as we were, we'd been dating when I got that news, that job was the hours were getting cut in half. So I was going from full time to part time. So it was my full, and they gave me six months of notice, which was awesome of the County commissioners to do that. It's very, very, very sweet of them. So I made my full time job and all my spare time was just applying for federal jobs. And Andrea, I kept teasing her about Texas at that time. Um, it was Amarillo. No, what was the El Paso? El Paso? There's some old country song that's just horrific that offended <laughs> Andrea's very soul that I, I would play for you, but we get th this pulled down. But uh, something about a girl from El Paso or something. But uh, I was in a whole bunch of interviews and processes along the way, and I ended up in Rhode Island uh, working as a raider for the VA at and, and the team they hired me into was a seriously injured and very seriously injured cohort. So I, go, I get to Rhode Island. I sold all my cars. I sold everything. Because um, I had a Honda Del Sol that I was commuting around in. I had an old pickup that I sold to a dairy farmer because the high end went out. That was a beater. What else did I have when we started dating? Was it just the Del Sol? It was just the Del Sol. Yeah, yeah I had gotten rid of everything out. else. So... I went to Rhode Island. I got off the plane. I had two suitcases. They weren't even suitcases. They were duffel bags from when I was coaching and a backpack. I got on Craigslist. I'd, I'd called some folks before, but no one wanted to take a 208 number because there were so many scammers in, in uh, Providence at the time. I found some college kids that had a spare bedroom in a really, really shady neighborhood. And I started walking to work every day. Was and, that the one that had the bars on the window? No, that was the second house that had the bars on the window. The first house was in, it was on Federal Hill, which is, it used to be a big mob district. They've, they've you know, tamped that down a lot. It's still, there's still some excitement there from the college kids and, and would it be gangsters or whatever. But uh, that was, that wasn't a very long walk. It was like a mile, mile and a half to downtown Rhode Island or Providence where the, the federal building was. So, and that lease was up at the end of the school year, it was summer so in June. So it was three or four months and I found a new place, really awesome Turkish kid that uh, was an entrepreneur that was storing kids furniture from Brown in a warehouse. And he was just putting shrink wrap around it, putting it on the floor. He had everything marked where everything was very organized, great salesman. He was just, I'd love living with that dude, super positive, but we live in this old falling down house in, in, Super, super rough neighborhood. It was a little over two and a half miles walk each way to work. 
And the bars in that neighborhood, they had bars on the second story windows and the first. It was a rough neighborhood. And here I am, uh, the projects, I, I could see the tallest building in that section of town was the, the projects, public housing. And so my Turkish uh, landlord, who he, he stayed in the house during the week, and then he was up in Connecticut on the weekends with his wife. So he understood what I was doing because he, he had a plan. I had a plan. But uh, it was a really, really long 14 months. And I'd been at the VA for three or four months. I had a bad taste in my mouth from leaving the guard the first time. And a lot of that was my doing because I was an impetuous, bullheaded, stubborn. stubborn. <laughs> and uh, two of the guys there, one was retired uh, chief of staff, the army guard, and the other was a SF guy, silver star, two purple hearts, Kung Fu grip. I just love both those men so much. And then there was Max <laughs> who is still to this day, one of my best friends. I just love him with all my heart, but those three guys all encouraged me to get back in. And uh, so I ended up getting back in the guard, go to tech school. I had a big bonus. Uh, they still hadn't rebuilt the, the dorms at, Keesler at that time. So I was off base getting per diem, uh, getting uh, my BH was from Boston locality. So it just worked out that all these things happened. I had 12 or six weeks of military leave from the VA as part of my um, compensation package. And in 14 months I paid off and with, I had a Diddy move, um, no, that was later, but I came home with zero debt. So in that 14 months I paid off and I, here's how I did it. Every morning I had a banana on the walk-in. So I would go buy a clump of seven bananas every week. And then lunch, there was a little cafeteria. It was Frank's uh, and Frank worked it every day. Every single day that guy was in there. I had a slice of pizza. It was pepperoni because that was as cheap as he had and a Coke. Dr. Pepper, but in the South, everything's a Coke. I love that. Andrea still hasn't That's uh, very weird. adjusted to it. I have a Coke. What kind, right? <laughs> when you talk with the waitress, anyways, slice pizza and a Coke for lunch. And then every night was the same thing. It was two eggs and a fried potato that I would chop up sort of like hash brown style cooked at. Uh, I, I was walking my spare time because it was free. I got down to 175 pounds and Max goes, Max, I have to explain who Max is. <laughs> so Max is a fire plug of a man. He is built like a just square. And Max is half Puerto Rican, half Dominican, and a violent redneck at heart. <laughs> and I said, hello. <laughs> I said, hello. We're out. Andrea came for one week. And here's my, my Western bride where everyone says howdy and very, very friendly. And he was like, don't look them in the eye. Can't make eye Walk contact. Walk on the other side of me. Don't look them in the eye. No smiling either. <laughs> it's very hard. So we go to have lunch with Max and we, we got some Thai food and we're sitting on a, a park bench somewhere like homeless people do. And Max was a geobastor just like me. He left his family behind in Georgia. So we had a lot in common, a lot to commiserate. But uh, there's an old gentleman walking by 
And Max had been in the South long enough that he got used to speaking to people. He'd been institutionalized in the South where you're supposed to be polite and say hello and respectful of old folks. Well, this old man walks by. Max goes, hello. <laughs> this guy ignores him. And Max took, as Michael Jordan once said, he took that personally. I said hello. He scared the crap out of this old man. So Andrea is like, is he going to fight him? She didn't say that, but I could see it in her eyes. She was super nervous. But th there's a much higher level of aggression up in, in New England than anywhere else I've ever lived. Andrea loved it very much. But it, I think that week, because I told her I didn't want to move the family out there, I think that week made it a really easy decision for her. Yeah, because there were railroad ties everywhere. Railroad ties? I don't remember the railroad ties. Yeah, holding up all like the overpasses. Oh, yeah. So when you have a bunch of graft in the construction industry, your projects fail. And so, the, yeah, there were a whole bunch of bridges being held up by railroad ties, which in the South, in the West, you never see. Um, there's just, there's corruption here, but it's different. So we did that, came back. It took us another couple of years because we were just paying a little bit extra on our student loans. What was, we paid them off four years ago. It was two years after you got here. Andrew paid those off. But we haven't had any real debt other than the house since then. So, and the reason this is so important when you're doing this, you have to have cushion because you're going to have disasters. You're going to have animals die. You're going to have to call a vet out. You're going to have a transmission go out in your truck when you're going down the highway. So two things. And when we got married, what did, what were you thinking about me with, cause you saw all these suits and you saw all these shoes. I was like, geez, I don't even have that many clothes nor shoes. I still have more clothes than she does. I, I, I did have a subscription for quite a long time to Gentleman, Gentleman's Quarterly, also known as GQ. Um, oh, you see, when you roll your eyes, you have to, you have to tell them. He spends the most time on his hair. I don't have any hair, and that's below the belt. That is uncalled for. So when I left for Rhode Island, uh, what did you think? Oh, my gosh. How am I supposed to raise two kids by myself? You'd already been doing it by yourself. Why did I get married then? Yeah, if you were going to leave. But it was a sacrifice that we both had to make in order to move forward together as a family with no debt. Well, and the thing about debt, too, especially if you're young, you don't have it yet. Stay out of it. But it is always there. It's always in the room with you. It, it's heavy. It, it, it affects your relationship. Because what do what couples fight about? Sex money. and money. Right. Those are the two things that are always stressful and add to it. So if you can kill one of those two things, great. And it's only pig herding that you fight about, <laughs> which is another episode totally completely. You're going to love that. It's going to be our best episode ever, I'm sure. If, if we live through that episode, we'll probably stay married for another 50 years. <laughs> Reliving some of the animal herding uh, memories may not be the best thing for our marriage. But so, and the thing that for, for the, and, and I'm talking for the folks who are going through this right now or, or planning to go through this, you, for the men, you have to work. If you're going to leave your family and go make this money, one, you have to commit 
to your wife. You're going to have all kinds of opportunities. You're going to be alone. You're going to be lonely. You have to know why you're there. And it's not to go out and step out in your wife. And you have to be honest and talk about this. The other thing is we had every single day we talked. For an hour. At least an hour every day. Because the kids would go to bed and he would call me before he went to bed. Because I was two hours ahead of her. So, and I was getting to bed at nine because mm -hmm. I had to be up at five to get to work on time because it was a hike and that was rain, snow. It, it didn't matter. I was walking and there was, I didn't have a car there and I, never in a million years, my neighborhood was a cab going to come <laughs> be wandering around. That's only in the movies. Um, so we may, I think we connected a, a ton during that time and it strengthened our marriage as far as our relationship and rooting for each other. And that's one of the things that I, I don't see enough young couples root for one another and work for one another and really take joy in the other's success. So I get back to Idaho and I had a job that I just absolutely was miserable in and that affected our job. I like that job and me being so unhappy affected our relationship much more than the distance that we had. So that, how long had, I was there? I wasn't there for that long, mm -hmm. seven, six months, seven months. Yeah. And I put in seven months too long and any available deployment letter. And I think we, we spoke about one of the previous podcasts ended up could have that home. And all the lessons I learned there as a young guy. So we got the the big the much bigger place. So we doubled the size of our home, more than doubled. We lost half of our storage. <laughs> oh yeah, because and that's one of the things too that it's I can't. Very weird. Yeah, I can't. When you're looking for your forever home, built-in storage is hugely underrated how awesome it makes your life having built-in storage in your hallways in, in places that make sense this house has a, a fairly good amount mm -hmm. fairly good amount of built-in storage so that's one of the things that really encourage you to look at but on the debt side we have we ever had an argument about money no so from the very beginning we've been on the same page and that's one of the things for the young couples or for the young men uh, looking to get married and ha have this dream of, I want to be a homesteader. And for the, you know, for women who are looking for that guy, cause you can't do this alone. There is no, and I've done it alone. Andrea has done it alone, but long-term you have to have that help meet. You have to have that partner. It just makes everything. It's not, you know, 50% easier. It's a, a thousand percent easier having that person. The other thing is we both look at things differently. She sees things I don't. She'll tell me things that I won't hear four or five times. until I'm like, oh, hey, we should do this. She's like, and I see it in her face and I'm like, oh, I have to hold on. And she'll tell me, I've been telling you that. I'm like, so that's where the idea came from. It wasn't me being a genius. Um, but those are those are the things in this. So on the money side, talk, be upfront. If you're dating early in your marriage and, and for the longest time, I, I think even still anything above $50, I'll tell Andrea, I, I ordered this or I'm thinking about buying this and gentlemen, 
Learn to talk things to death. Embrace it. Make it your, wait, we're not swearing on this podcast, but make it, it will improve your marriage so much. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is I had to coach women's basketball. I got to coach. I was lucky enough to coach women's basketball and I had to learn because I was a nurturer on the staff and I had to learn how to talk to women in a way where I could get through and communicate and get everybody going towards the same place. And your wife from day to day, she's a different person. It's like being married. (laughs) I don't understand the polygamist. I don't get it. The thought of trying to keep, I, I, I had a full head of hair when I started coaching women. If you've ever tried to keep 20 women happy because everyone on the staff besides myself was also female. I, I, the hair was gone quickly, but learning to talk and because, and and tell me if I'm wrong, Andrew. So I try and talk until you feel good about it and you you feel comfortable with it. Yes, that's true. Where with dudes at, at, I, I work in a male dominant space in the military and with men, if you, if I can show you the logical reason, or I have the rank to tell you, this is the way we're doing it because I said so. And, and again, that doesn't work on guys of comparable rank or old, old guys, but the kids, the young kids, they will take that and be okay. Sir, yes, sir. Right. But with, with your spouse, especially for you men, I'm talking, I'm talking to me 20 years ago, just because it's logical and it makes sense to you until she feels good about it. And you've talked about it and she feels comfortable. It's not a yes. So you've got to talk through these things. It's, it was exhausting when I, that first year coaching women, cause coaching men's easy. You yell and scream a little bit, you get after it, you slap a butt and you go play basketball. It, there is so much more communication that goes on nonverbal communication, service communication. You know, that, that book, Young men, if you haven't read uh, the love languages, the, it is because we read that together early, mm-hmm. and I'd already already read it several dozen other times. <laughs> With all <your> <laughs> That's an inside joke. Um, I was a thirty-five-year-old bachelor. I had had a girlfriend or two when we started dating, but there were enough that I couldn't refer to him by name because there were an. Uh, a few. So I just started saying Ukrainians and it's, it's been an inside joke now for 12 years. Cause I, I think I said something about all the Ukrainians are in the shed because I was telling her that she was the only one, but uh, regardless. <laughs> this is super weird tangent. We're sorry. I'm not, I'm not a bit sorry. You went on a journey. It was a good time. So anyways, back to, to this for you, for the men listening to this, for the young men, learn to communicate, learn to think about seeing the world through your wife's eyes and being cognizant of her feeling good about the direction you're heading in. But everything we do, we talk about, if we're, we're talking about going to breasty chickens right now and Andrea asked me, are we going, or I don't want to get rid of all the chickens and put all of our eggs in this basket. There's a good pun in there with the chicken business. I know. She didn't even laugh at that one, folks. So, well, because I was the one that said it first. Ah, 
<laughs> but uh, oh, that was your idea once again. I've stolen one of her ideas. No shame, no shame. So we've got one minute left. Andrea, what what advice do you have for, for women, for young women? Uh, name brand stuff does not matter. Use what you like. And if you have a good friend who has two boys that are older, take all the clothes. Take all the clothes. We have clothes for Sam until he's six because of our two neighbor friends. And that alone is worth thousands. Yeah. And that's the thing, the great thing about baby clothes. There are so many out there. So but that's for another episode. So this is get out of debt, kill it. It's a cancer, the consumer debt. And then we're going to talk later about land and all this stuff. Andrea, as we wrap up, what else do you have? What are the thoughts you have? Lessons you learned? Getting out of debt takes work. But if you have a partner that's supportive and you're on the same page, it makes life a whole lot easier. A drama-free marriage, a drama-free relationship. We have that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. 